in a series called Uncommon. Really, it's a, it's a relationship series about having uncommon relationships. And so before we jump into the series, I want to say welcome all those tuning in on, uh, online. Thanks for tuning in with us. Glad you're with us. Uh, this is part five of this series. And essentially, let me just give you, I'll, I'll do a little bit of review, but um, the, the big idea is this for this series, is that great relationships, they're possible, but they're not, all, they're not probable. What I mean by that is if you just expect them, another way we could say it is great relationships don't just happen, right? So if you expect great relationships to happen, they're not just going to show up and happen one day. Uh, they, they take intentionality, they take work. And so for this series, we're trying to give you some tools and principles that would say, if you do these things, you can expect healthy relationships. And if you neglect these, you can expect unhealthy relationships. And so um, we just, we're challenging to, to make good choices. So the first week, we talked about love. Second week, we talked about commitment. The third week, we talked about communication. And then last week, we talked about conflict. And you always know it's a good one whenever he comes up to you and says, well, a lot of people come to you and say, man, that was so challenging to me. I needed that so much. And I'm like, yeah, me too. It's a, it's a, I'm doing some self-talk here in uh, group therapy, right? Helping each other out. And, uh, but anyways, we said last week that conflict, it cannot continue without my participation. Um, if, when it comes to uncommon conflict, we have to choose to be able to do it in a healthy way. And so the whole message last week was about having healthy conflict and knowing how to do that. So if you missed it, go catch up to the messages. And uh, conflict was a great one. I encourage you to, to uh, go and hear, uh, listen to that one again. All right. So today for part five, I actually added another message because I realized as we're going through the series, we've been hinting at it. We've been talking about it. but We haven't really hit it directly. And so I thought, you know, we need to do this one, make sure we hit it so that uh, we, we become healthy in our relationships. And uh, so today I want to talk about uncommon self, right? Uncommon self. What does it look like to have an uncommon self when it comes to the, your approach, the way you view yourself, the way you view relationships? Because uh, if you get this wrong, um, really all the tools we've given you actually will not be very beneficial because this is going to be the thing that, that hinders uh, your relationships the most. And so last week we talked about, when we talked about conflict, we said that conflict is not about you, right? But selfishness, which is what we're going to talk about, the unpar- unhealthy part of ourself, is it, it, makes us, it makes everything about us, right? That's what selfishness does. It tends to make everything be about you, as if the world revolved around you, around me, right? That's what selfishness does. It tends to make, say, I'm the center, everything else revolves around my needs, my desires, what I want, um, and and. I remember as a, as a kid, it was probably around the third grade, uh, maybe fourth grade. I can't remember quite what it was in elementary. I remember the first time I realized that the world did not revolve around me. It was heartbreaking, right? I remember, I remember very vividly because this is what happened. I got sick. I got strep or something. So I had been out for a day or two. I think it was a day. And um, when I went back to school, I showed up. And in my mind, I thought, I'm home, at, at home sick. Everybody else is homesick, right? Like the world just stopped working. I'm not, it's not, I'm not there to see it work, then it must not be working. And I got to school, and my friends began to tell me about all the cool things that happened while I was out sick, homesick. And I was like, I remember this moment in my, my, my mind and my heart. I was like, what? You played without me? Like you had fun without me? You had you made memories without me? And as a young kid, I remember this, it was very vivid, like, wow, I guess the world goes on when I'm not there. And uh, that was the first time I realized that the world didn't revolve around me because all of us have this bent towards us where we think life is all about us, right? It's just, it's, it's about me. And if, if I'm not there, then nothing's happening and I'm the most important person. And, um, I'm, and, and in fact, as parents, that's part of our job is to help break that from our kids, right? As, as they grow up, we're trying to help them to say, you can't make everything about you. Don't be selfish. You have to, you have to share. You have to care for others. You have to, you know, and my, my role as a parent is I'm always trying to lead them uh, to break that in their lives and say, don't make it all about you all the time. Because if you do, it becomes unhealthy. You become unhealthy. Nobody wants to be around you. You become spoiled. And our job is to actually help them to succeed in relationships, not to make it worse. And so we try to break that from them. I remember um, the second vivid memory in my life when I realized um, that I had a little bit of selfishness in me. 
um, is when I, uh, so my parents would send me on mission trips when, when I was in middle, middle school and, junior, and, and high school. In fact, before I even turned 18, I had visited like three continents, um, and, and I think it was almost uh, uh, six nations like that that I'd been on mission trips uh, because my parents would, would allow me to go on these mission trips. And um, the short term, just go for a couple weeks and come back. So in the summer, at different times of the year. And so I remember um, one of the trips that I went on, um, we, we got to visit some of the poorest parts of this, of this uh, city that we were working in. Um, and I was able to go into some of the houses of some of these really, really poor people. And uh, what, what, you know, we wouldn't consider a house, but maybe a shack and maybe uh, not even a shack for us. It would just be something that they just got, got by with to, to make it work, to get out of the elements. Um, and I remember, I remember going on this trip and just experiencing, one, the poverty, and, and, and it, it broke my heart in many ways. Um, but I also experienced the joy that a lot of these people have. They didn't have anything, but they were very joyful. And we had some great conversations, get to, get to meet them. But I remember when I came back to the, to the States, um, I remember I, I walked in my room and I, I went to my house and I, I looked at my toilet, uh, which is vastly different than the toilet they had. Um, which was a hole in the ground. And, and I, remember, I remember looking at all these different things. And I remember even driving down the road because um, in, in there and what we were visiting there, they didn't have roads, they didn't have sidewalks, and uh, it was dirt, and there's a lot of uh, bumps, and the, 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 the vans took a long time to travel on. I remember coming home and just driving on our roads and seeing the sidewalks and seeing how we took care of, 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 our, of our streets and, um, and not seeing trash everywhere, all those things. And I remember in, in my, my heart, I realized, like, wow, uh, we're very blessed to be in a very um, unique nation, right? A very blessed nation, uh, for one. Uh, but in this in this process of wrestling with, um, you know, where I lived and what I saw, uh, the devastation, the, the 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 poverty, all those things, there was something in in my heart that began to shift, right? Uh, because up to this point, it was a lot about like how do I fit in? Am I popular? Am I cool? Am I wearing that right clothes? And then I began to engage with people that didn't have nice clothes and they didn't have all the things that you would think to be popular. But they had their joy. And there was this wrestling match in my, in my heart was saying, you know what, who am I going to be in this moment? Am, am I going to make it all about what a lot of us tend to make it about? Um, wealth and, and resources, uh, uh, the things that we own, possess, possessions. Um, or am I going to make it about something different, using my life to make an impact? And it made a, a profound impact in my life when I, when I remember making the choice saying, I'm going to let this impact me in a way that I don't live in such a way that it's all about me, me, me. But how can I give? How can I be generous? How can I use my life? To make a difference, and in those in those couple stories, I remember uh, there was just these these moments where I realized that um, life is not about me, and and I had to break the selfishness in my heart because we tend to make it all about us, right? And so today I want to talk about that. What 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 does it look like to um, to be able to have a healthy view ourselves, but just have a healthy self in the first place? Uh, to to view how we view ourselves, how we handle these things. So Romans twelve. This is the, 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 the verse that holds the, the whole series together. Paul says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. So just go with the flow, but let God transform you. And notice what he says, what he wants to transform you into. Transform you into a new person, right? Um, by changing the way you think. So you become a new person by, the way, by changing the way you think, Paul says. And let God do this in your life. And then you'll learn, when you begin to change your thinking, be, become a new person, uh, you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. So your relationships... He wants your relationships to be healthy. He wants your life to accomplish good things. So he's saying if, you will, if you'll learn uh, to let God lead in this area and transform you into a new person, you'll begin to realize some great things. Um, so as I was preparing for this message, this, this whole series, I've been reading some relationship books, um, listening to some, some different speakers I like to listen to. And uh, there's this one, one a couple, uh, the, the Parrots, Les and Leslie Parrott, uh, they do some, some um, relationship coaching. They, they teach up in, in the Seattle area. 
uh, the Washington area up there, and um, they do relationship classes, and they're psychologists who work with, with people in relationships. And, um, and so I was reading through some of his, his material, and, and there's this, this one part um, on his website that he, he's referring to some, some, some research that he did, and um, he said there's, there's this, this one component when it comes to relationships that we can't miss. If we miss this, it, it can actually uh, be very detrimental in our relationships. In fact, this is how he starts it off. He says, uh, the single sentence that can change your relationships. So if you want to know, here's one single sentence that can change your relationships, right? And uh, he gives us this. And when I read that, I was like, wow, that's a pretty bold statement, that there's a single sentence that can really impact our relationships for the better, right? And uh, so I began to just read more about what he was talking about. And, and when I got to the sentence, I was like, wow, that, that is so true. This is, uh, this is something very, very important. So let me, let me read the sentence to you, all right? He says this, if you try to find intimacy with another person before achieving a sense of wholeness on your own, all your relationships become an attempt to complete yourself. So if you try to look for, for closeness in other relationships with other people without first um, becoming healthy and whole yourself, every relationship is just going to be an attempt to try to complete you and make you whole and healthy. And so you'll, if you're not healthy as an individual, you'll look for others to try to make up for your lack. You'll look for others to try to make up for what's not working in your life. And here's the problem with that. That never works. It always falls flat. In fact, we could, we could sum it up like this. Why does this sentence matter? Because your relationships can only be as healthy as you are. Don't rush past that, all right? In your life, your relationships with your parents, with your kids, with your spouse, with your teachers, with wh- whatever your friends, right? They can only be as healthy as you are healthy. So if you're not healthy, you can't expect your relationships to be healthy because you'll be adding to unhealthiness in that relationship. So when we expect others to make our lives healthy without us being healthy first, we actually um, don't make the relationship work. We struggle with it because it has to start with us. So one of the most important things is is what we can do as individuals is build um, to have healthy relationships is to work on our own personal well-being, our emotional well-being, our spiritual well-being, our relational well-being. Because the truth is we can't rely on other people to complete us because they never can, not even our spouses. They can't fully complete us. And when we, try to, when we put those expectations on others, we actually set ourselves up in that relationship of a fail, failure because they will never be able to, to, to live up to those expectations of completing us completely. They add to our lives. They add value to our lives, but they never can complete us. And in fact, in, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recommend a book in a second. And in this book, um, he quotes a, uh, a professor from Duke University, uh, an ethics professor named Stanley Hauerwas. Uh, he famously he made this point about completing others, all right, and having others complete us. He says this. Destructive to marriage is a self-fulfillment ethic that assumes marriage and the family are primarily institutions of personal fulfillment necessary, necessary for us to become whole and happy. So essentially he's saying we tend to think that relationships and family and marriage are about self-fulfillment for us to make us happy. Right? You might have even heard that. Well, isn't marriage all about just making us happy? Like if we're not happy, then the marriage is not working. It's not worth it, right? Like it's, it's really about my happiness, right? And, and I'm going to say as we talk about the Bible in a second – the Bible doesn't, that, that's not the, the idea the Bible gives to us when it comes to relationships and to marriage. It's not about making us happy. That's not, the, that's not the primary purpose. We want happiness in that. We should strive for happiness in those things. But that's not the primary purpose. He goes on and says this. The assumption is that there is someone just right for us to marry. And that if we look close enough, we'll find the right person. This moral assumption overlooks a crucial aspect to marriage. It fails to appreciate the fact that we always marry the wrong person. I know. When I read that, I was like, what? <laughs> we marry the wrong person? Always marry the wrong person. We never know to whom we marry. We never know whom we marry. We just think we do. Or even the first, and, and even if we first marry the right person, 
Just give it a while, and he or she will change. For marriage, being the enormous thing that it is, means that we are not the same person after we have entered into it. The primary problem is learning how to love and care for the stranger to whom we find ourselves married to. Or this, could, this applies to relationships also. So essentially what he's saying is um, the person that, we're, that we, we're, we're marrying, it's actually just an idea of who we think that person really is. Um, and, and, and this last month, by reading relationship books and learning about relationships, things like that, try to prepare for these messages, um, I heard this idea multiple times from multiple psychologists and different uh, marriage counselors who say, essentially, the person that you marry will change around five times, uh, maybe more, maybe less, but there's going to be these changes in this person. So the person that you marry, just give it a little bit of time, they're going to actually begin to evolve and change into a different person. For some, that could be a scary thought, right? Like, wait, I'm going to be married to somebody different when they're older? Yeah, they are going to be different. Uh, because the person you're marrying is actually just an idea of that person. In fact, you, you, they say you, you, you uh, date the, uh, the person twice, right? The first time you date the person, it's like you see everything good about the person. And the second time, the second part of dating is realizing who they really are. Um, so hopefully that's not, before, that's not at marriage, but sometimes it is. When you actually marry them, then you begin to see the flaws. You begin to see the things that aren't working, the things that don't work. This is why for singles, young people... Um, this is why it's so important when it comes to relationships that you get coaching, you get help, um, and that you take your time, you don't rush into, into these. Because really the person that you're dating or you want to marry, that you're engaged to whatever, it's just it's, it's they, you're, you're loving the idea of who that you think that person is. And until you're with them all the time, and until you're with them in, in a relationship, you really won't know exactly who that is. And then they'll begin to change and, and, and become something different, which I think is a beautiful thing. Because I look at my marriage with sincerity, I think I'm not the same person I was when she married. And I, I'm hoping that's a better thing. I Hopefully she would say that. I would say that about her. She's a better version of herself than she was when we first got married. And I expect more change to happen. My job is to say, how can I make her even better? How can I add to that where she can become a better individual so that we can have a better marriage, we can have better relationships, right? And so he's saying in this, in this quote is that a prob- our, one of our problems is in relationships is we – as people change, that, that sometimes is uncomfortable because we want them to stay the same. In some cases, we hope they change, right? Um, and we want that, but, it, but it, it, it happens. And so um, the idea that you never marry the right person. Our culture you know, gives us like this, this false idea that there's this perfect soulmate out there for us. And the truth is we're all incompatibles in many ways because of selfishness, because of sin. The Bible says that selfish, sin is, uh, selfishness is what drives our decisions, our poor decisions, our, uh, the sin that we, we commit. It's because of selfishness. Our desires within us, you know, that we choose to do something wrong, it breaks down relationships, it hurts relationships. And so in our lives, there's this part of us where um, we want to make it all about us. And selfishness keeps us from having healthy relationships. So in this case, when it comes to um, having the perfect person, well, we're not, none of us are perfect. And when we give it enough time, when, even if we seem perfect, give enough time, we'll, we'll show ourselves not perfect. And that's what relationships do. They reflect back to us the good, but they also reflect back to us the negative, right? And a lot of people avoid relationships because of this, because they don't want to know the negative in their life, so they don't have to fix it. And so a lot of relationships are destroyed because one person is unwilling to say, all right, you're reflecting back to me some things. You're saying back to me these things about myself that I don't like, so I have an option. I listen to you and try to change. I listen to you and try to adjust, or I get rid of you and I go on to the next, next one. But if you keep doing that, you'll only keep getting the same pattern. People saying there's things in your life that don't work. You should work on those things. It doesn't work. Well, then you leave the next person. You go to the next one. And it just keeps going on and on in relationships. So we need to begin to change, uh, allow God to change us on the inside, right? Um, so, in fact, when it comes to marriage, they, there's even research out there that says if, if you, there's some certain um, 
components that if you'll do it and, and you, you won't rush into it, you'll actually have a really good chance at having a really healthy marriage, right? Because there's essentially two, two views of marriage. There's the, um, the high view of marriage, uh, which somebody believes that when you, once you get married, your life's going to be perfect, everything's going to be awesome, right? Um, and, and, and it's an un, unrealistic expectation that once you get into the first fight, the first disagreement, you're like, wow, this is not perfect, this is not right. And so the high view sets up people um, for, for a lot of times failure because they're, they're not, not believing in a realistic expectation of a relationship. There's a low view of marriage, which a lot of times in culture, I think that's a lot of times what more people take is we're so afraid to repeat what maybe we've seen modeled for us or we're so afraid to get what everybody else is getting, especially when it comes to divorce, that we'll actually avoid it. And there's these ideas in culture that says, well, you know, since it doesn't work, Culturally, we should try to find other resources. That's an outdated institution. We shouldn't even think about that anymore. And so let's just let's let's see if we're compatible by living together before we ever get married. Let's see if it works first. And research actually says that's even worse. If you if you if you've been to research and study, which I would encourage you to do that when it comes to relationships, even if you're thinking about getting married, um, um, or even if you're thinking about living with somebody, um, th- those stats are worse actually than than marriage. But the research says this: if you're in your mid twenties, right, you have some education. Um, and you don't rush into it, um, you will have a good chance of, of staying in a healthy relationship for a long time um, if you'll do what's right. So the, the book, and I would encourage you, whether you're single or married, thinking about marriage, uh, this would be a book I think, I think you should go through. If you're in marriage and you're struggling through some things in marriage, this would be a, a, a great resource to help you have a better relationship. It's called The Meaning of Marriage by Timothy Keller. He's a pastor in the New York area, and uh, it's a great book. Um, I, I actually now recommend it to, the, to, to couples that I do premarital counseling for. Uh, because there is so much value in, in helping you um, to see really what, why marriage is designed in the first place. And so you give some biblical uh, examples of, of, of how, how marriage is supposed to work. And then he really, I think the strength of the book is he pushes against a lot of cultural, cultural norms that we have accepted about divorce, about marriage, about cohabitation. And really he says, you need to think about these things also, because um, what we tend to believe culturally is not always the truth. It's not always the best. Um, and so he says that you need to learn to, to, to see it in a healthy way, have a healthy perspective. In fact, one of the quotes he says in the book that I like, he says this. He says, if two spouses say to each other, I'm going to treat my self-centeredness as the main problem in the marriage, then you have the prospect of a truly great marriage. I think you can apply that to all relationships. If, if, if two people in a relationship would say, I'm going to treat my self-centeredness as the main problem in our relationship, you'll begin to have a, a prospect of really healthy relationships. What is he saying? He's saying, in the relationship... You have to start with the, pers- the only person that you can change, and that's yourself, right? Because if you don't, that'll bleed into the relationship. And if you don't deal with your stuff, it'll ne- you'll never be able to have a healthy relationship uh, with expecting the other person to change without you changing yourself. Why? Because self-centeredness makes us blind to our issues. It always makes us blind to our issues. Self-centeredness tend- chooses to ignore the truth and the reality about ourselves, and sometimes about others, because we only want to see what we want to see. We only want to do what we want to do, and that hurts relationships because here's the truth when it comes to relationships and community god put us in community to help each other not to complete each other when you understand that you take some of the pressure off the other person of saying you have to be perfect all the time rather i understand we're human there's going to be some some challenges in a relationship there's gonna be conflict there's gonna be things that go on so i'm gonna i'm gonna choose to work on my part um and because because none of us are truly com- fully compatible um my my me, me study there's there's we're not perfect in every way there's some challenges, and a lot of times it's my selfishness that gets in the way of that. You know, early in our marriage, that was one of the, the big things that we had to work through, is I sought one way, she sought one way. Well, I want my way, she wants her way, so which way are we going to go? 
And we had to work through that. And a lot of times in relationships, what happens is the other person reflects back to you exactly what they're seeing, right? So if I'm being a jerk, at some point she's going to reflect back to me saying, hey, you're being a jerk. And then I have a choice. Do I receive that? And do I change? Or do I just push my way through and I continue to be a jerk and hurt the relationship? And, and the strength of that is relationships can, can reflect back to us. And if we're healthy, we say, I hear what you're saying. I need to change some things so that I can become better. And if you have a, a good dynamic in, in that relationship and there's trust built, you actually want to hear what they have to say because at times you're going to say, I need to change those things. I mean, because um, a lot of times in, in relationship, what happens is we, we tend to think love should just be natural. Love should just happen, right? Well, if it's love, it's just going to happen. No, like anything else, it takes work. Like it, it takes work in anything. Can you imagine like a professional base, baseball player, or whatever, basketball player, whatever kind of professional athlete, they're there, and, and, and their coach says you need to change some things. Like, no, I'm going to do it my own way. Eventually, what happens to those players? They get traded to a different team, right, because they're selfish, and they don't, they don't play with the team. Uh, worse, worse than that, though, if they don't listen, they eventually become worse because um, professionals get coaching, right? They understand that others are going to see what they don't see. They need to change things and make, make, make change in their life. Well, in our relationships, if we treat it the same way and say, you know what, you're telling me something that I can get better at. I'm going to listen. I'm going to respond. I'm going to change those things so that I can become better. I'm not putting the expectation on you to make everything better for me. I'm just trusting that you're going to reflect that back to me. And this is the strength of relationships. In fact, I would even say this is what he makes a, a, a strong argument for. The purpose of marriage, the media marriage, is that we would help each other begin to, be, to, to, to uh, reflect God more and more as we age. So my job is to help sincerity become the best version that God wants her to be. Her job is to help me become the best version that God wants me to be. That's a whole different way to look at relationships. When you think, my role is to help you become a better version of yourself, and your role is to help me become better. How do we do that? It takes work. It takes conversation. It takes a lot of things we've talked about, right, to, to move forward. Because um, the truth is, in our relationship, I could focus. There's, there's plenty of negative things that take place in our relationship that I could focus on that would actually hurt us. In fact, early in our marriage, I had to make the choice. Am I only going to focus on the negative or am I going to see the positive? And there, one or two negatives in, in another person could be enough to leave, right, to get out of that relationship. Where you have to say, there's more benefit here than, than just the things I don't like. And we have to push through that and keep working. In fact, in the, in the book, um, The Meaning of Marriage, he pushes against um, even, even the idea that marriage doesn't work. Because culture sometimes says, you know, it's an outdated institution. You know, there's probably a better way to do it. I don't know if it's not working. We should find something different. Well, he actually says research actually says the opposite of that. A lot of people, you know, they, they, uh, they try to do what, what culture says, go their own way. He actually says, in fact, he talks about a, a 1992 study of retirement data that shows that individuals who were continuously married, they had 75% more wealth at retirement than those who never married or divorced or did not remarry. Even more remarkably, he said married men who have been shown to earn 10 to 40% more than do single men with similar education and job histories. And then he, quanti- he qualifies that. He says it's not just because you're married that this happens, but he says what tends to happen is, is uh, when it comes to uh, relationship is when, when negative things happen, the spouse is kind of like um, they, they break the, the pressure, right? So there's sickness, so there's challenges that come up. There's another person to walk through, through those things so it helps you to keep going. You don't stop. When you're alone, that's a little harder, right? So those relationships are important because they help us to walk through difficult times. And then he talks about a lot of times this is true because of cultural norms. When you're in a relationship, um, single, single people tend to, to um, not, not be as good with money, right? Because they spend more, more on self-indulgence, doing things that's just for the moment. Where in your relationship, the, the other person is saying, hey, I don't think we should probably spend all that money right now. We should save it for the future. 
And, and the norms, the, cult, the cultural norms are, are different in relationship because you're saying, let's work towards something in the future rather than just living for the moment. And a lot of times that's the difference in that. And so he just pushes against it. And so I, I thought as we talk about the, the, the common self, um, first let's talk about the, the, uh, the let's, if we're going to talk about the uncommon self, let's talk about the common self first, right? The selfish person, the one that just kind of goes with the flow, the one that just makes it all about them. Uh, a lot of times the reason somebody is um, stuck um, and a lot of times they become the, the, the focus of everything is, is three different things. First, the past. Uh, a lot of times selfish people have not dealt with the past, right? The past has happened. And they haven't dealt with it, so all they could focus on is is the hurt. Um, if you ever broken an arm or, or cut yourself really bad, you know that in the moment of pain, you're not thinking about anything else but the pain, right? This is what happens to selfish people that have been hurt. Um, because they haven't dealt with the past, they still have the pain of the past, so all they can see is the pain. They can't ever see the benefit or anything beyond that, right? Or, or the possibilities beyond it. All they see is that. So whether it's been words or actions that have hurt us, if we haven't dealt with them, that pain informs our present and our future, and it doesn't allow us to be fully the person we need to be. So the common self just says, ah, it's just what it is. Can't change it. Let's just, move. Let's just you know, not deal with it and maybe ignore it, whatever, but we never really solve anything. Uh, the second part is the present. Uh, the uncommon self, when it comes to the present, uh, research says this, that uh, when it comes to self-talk, right, on a daily basis, we all have self-talk. The things that we tell ourselves about life, about what we believe about ourselves, about others, people, whatever. It says this research says that the average person, the self-talk that the average person has is 78% negative self-talk as opposed to 22% positive self-talk. So if you want to be common, you want to be average, you're going to have a lot of negative self-talk is what, what the research says. But if you choose to be uncommon self, you learn to say there has to be something different about how I'm talking to myself. There's other research that goes on with self-talk. If you study it, you see that um, even in, in athletics or in, in the workplace, self-talk, negative self-talk doesn't lead to anything positive, but only to more negative. And positive self-talk actually helps people perform better. Uh, so the way you view ourself, even our self-esteem, right? The average person typically has a more negative self-esteem. Uh, my question is, is how do other people view you in that? And then finally, the, the future. Uh, if you want to be a common, the common self, when it comes to the future, few tend to think about it and may, maybe do anything about it. For a few different reasons. I think one big one is because a lot of times the reality of where we're at and the, where we want to go, it seems so far, like there's this big gap, right? And because there's such a large gap, it's going to take so much work to get there, we just don't ever work. And so it keeps us paralyzed. It keeps us from, from going forward, uh, which we need to change if we're going to um, ever be, be have, a, have a better future. Um, I'm going to show you a video. It's a commercial. Maybe some of you have seen this. Uh, when it comes to, the, to our, our self, our, our self-esteem, our view of ourself, um, I thought this was a great way to illustrate that when it comes to the common self, how uh, we tend to um, have a different opinion than others of, of ourselves. So watch this video and then we'll talk some more.
I think that's true of all of us at times, the way we view ourselves, right? That's why it's so important to have healthy relationships where people can reflect back to you what, they, what you don't see. Uh, they can encourage you. Um, I, I, think, I think back to, um, you know, uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, I'm going to read a scripture in a second, um, where he, he talks about his prayer for the people, the Christians in Ephesus. Um, and a, lot of, a, a big part of this is he's, he's talking about the inside, how we view ourselves, right? If we're, so if we're going to be the uncommon self, right, we have to let go of selfishness. Uh, what does that look like? How does that, how does now, how do we approach that when it comes to scriptures, right? So Ephesians 3, Paul says this, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. So God wants to change something about you on the inside. He wants to, he wants to empower you, help you on this journey so you can become the best version of yourself. And he says, then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. Your roots will grow down deep into God's love and keep you strong. So you're going to find maturity. You're going to find stability. You're going to find that within yourself as you begin to approach this uncommon self, you'll find some strength in that. He goes on and says, And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep is his love. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. And notice where Paul says our completeness comes from. Not from somebody else, but from, from God. Not another individual, not your spouse, not your kids, not your work. It comes from God. Only God can really help us understand exactly what he's trying to do in our lives. And here's the truth. Each of us is slightly different. So the things that's really going to make you complete and whole in your life is going to be a little different than mine. Similar principles, but there's things that God's going to point out in your life that you need to accomplish that are going to be different than what he wants me to accomplish. Um, so let me give you four steps to wholeness. If you're going to become the uncommon self, Here's four things. In fact, we built our whole uh, uh, structure of our church around these four things. The first thing to wholeness is first thing you need to know God. You need to know that you have a relationship with God and know that he, has, he, he cares for you, that he loves you. Now look at the story in the Bible of Jesus when he's starting ministry. And the first thing the enemy wants to do is, is make him um, question his identity and his purpose. Like, who really are you? Are you really going to accomplish these things? He's trying to make him insecure. He's trying to get, get him to doubt who God is, Right? Um, and, and, and the whole time God is saying, I want you to know, know me. I want you to have a relationship with me. Um, and, and, he, and he invites us in this, in this, in this uh, journey with him. In fact, in order to achieve wholeness and health, we must first understand how, that God's love for us is unconditional and eternal. And, how, and, and, that, and we must experience that love that he has for us. When you experience it, when you understand it, you begin to live in a different way. Because now you understand, like, I have more value than I, than I sometimes tell myself. Um, I'm more beautiful than I tell myself because I'm made in the image of God. And we have a healthy view of ourselves, we actually approach life in a different way. And it starts, I believe, it starts with saying, God, I want to know you and your love for me and your plans for me. The second step is this, um, to know freedom. Uh, this is a really important step, all right? So we want people to have that encounter with God and begin a relationship with him and begin to follow him. But the second step of finding freedom is if you never do this part, you'll never really be able to live in, in all that God, the fullness that God has for you in this life. Because the past will be the thing that keeps, keeps uh, tripping you up and keeps you from the best that God has for you. So we must settle our yesterdays, right? Knowing that, that we can't change what was. We can't change what happened to us. But we can learn from it. And we can choose to allow it to help us to get better. In fact, in James 5.16, James tells us this. He says, confess your sins, sins, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. Part of the freedom process is that we have to have other people in our lives that we confess to so we can find healing. So we find forgiveness from God, but we find healing when we have other people in our lives that are reflecting back to us things that we need to change. They hear what we have to say. We release and let go of it. There's healing that takes place. So you know God. You find freedom. Um, 
Because we believe life change happens in relationships. That's why we have small groups. That's why we believe small groups are so important. In fact, one of our small groups is called Freedom. It's built around this idea that if you don't find, if you don't settle your, your yesterday, if you don't uh, learn to, to deal with the past, you really won't have the, the complete freedom that God wants for you going into the future. So settle the past. Deal with it. Um, in fact, if you're not in a group this semester, get in one. But next semester when we start again, uh, get in a freedom group. I would encourage you to, to get in a freedom group. That's one of the best groups you can get into. Uh, the third thing is this, is discover purpose. So we know God, we find freedom, but then we have to discover purpose. What exactly is that God has purpose for your life? How does he want you to make an impact with the gifts and with the skills and the resources, the things that you have? Our growth track process is built around this idea that we want to help you discover how you're, how you're wired, uh, the gifts that he's given you, so you begin to use those to make impact in other people's lives. Um, and, and, and I think when, when it comes to God, we see, we see Jesus, you know, he, he's, he's leading us on this journey. It was true of Jesus having purpose. It's also true of us. Who are you? What are you doing here? So Jesus knew he was son of God. He knew his purpose to, to, to die on that cross so we can have a relationship with, with God, right? So what is your purpose? Who are you in Christ? And then what is your purpose he's calling you to? Um, Philippians 2, 3 through 8 says like this, when it comes to um, breaking from the, from, the un, from the common self into the uncommon self. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In your relationships, rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Do not look to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So what was Christ Jesus' mindset? What was his attitude towards life and relationships? He had a bigger perspective. He understood his purpose. He understood what he was doing. And when you live from understanding your purpose, understanding who you are in Christ, you actually, um, what he gives you to do is more enjoyable because you realize you're having an impact with your life. You're, you're making a difference. Um, and, and so he goes on and says this. This is his attitude. Who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of, of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. So Paul's saying he was selfless in his, in his in approach to life. He wasn't selfish. He emptied himself of that. He says, I'm going I'm to approach life in a different way. I'm going to let my life be used to make a difference I mean, you, you, to what God has for me. And so the fourth step is exactly that. It's making a difference. So we want you to know God. We want you to find freedom. We want you to discover your purpose. But then we want you to make a difference. When you join with others on this journey, you begin to have an impact. In fact, serving others is so, so crucial to your health and to, your, to, to, to having healthy relationships. It's a part of the dynamic that God says, don't neglect this part. Use your life to make a difference, which is really, honestly, one of the deepest needs that we have as human beings. To, to make our lives count, um, to, to, to uh, something to live on beyond us that, that we use our life for. So he's saying if, if you're going to get past um, the thinking of the old way, you, you need to learn to know God, how he thinks of you. Sell your past, begin to discover the things he has for you, and then use your life to make a different act on it, right? So the three aspects. What is, what is the uncommon self? How, how does the uncommon self view the past, the present, and the future? Well, the uncommon self would say, I'm going to use the past. I'm going to deal with it so it can inform me. I'm not going to let it hinder me no more. I'm going, to, I'm going to learn to use those. In fact, I'm going to overcome those things so that in the present, I can begin to see how God sees me. I can, ref, I can allow others to reflect back to me how to live in the present in a healthy way, right? With the right uh, motivation, with the right self-esteem, with, the, with all the different par- components of ourself. And then in the future, we're always saying, I'm going to continually be building towards that better version of myself. I'm going to be continue building towards what God has for me. Ephesians 4, Paul says in Ephesians 4.22, he says, uh, when, it, when it comes to, to dealing with the past and, and, and moving forward, 
He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life, right? To put off the old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So Paul's saying, we have to deal with the past, put it away, so we can put on the new, right? So in the present, we're actually living in a new way. We've dealt with the past. We, we no longer give in to the desires that the, that the old wants to, but we say, God, there's something new for me. Galatians 2.20, uh, Paul says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So Paul says, when it comes to the present, this is a daily thing that he does. Essentially he's saying, um, the old self, right? my, self, my selfishness is crucified, just like Christ is. So he's putting to death self on a daily basis. This is what it means to follow Christ. Being a, a Jesus follower means that on a daily basis we're saying no to my self, selfish desires, no to my self-centeredness, and yes to what God has. So we crucify. He says this is what, what happens. And notice, it only becomes possible because of what Jesus did on the cross for us, because of his love, his grace that's available to us. And then when it comes to the future, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, um, all of us with unveiled faces, we contemplate the Lord's glory. And notice what he says. This is the call of a Christian. This is really the journey that, that Jesus' followers go on. He says, we're being transformed into the image, into his image, into, into Christ's image, right, with an ever-increasing glory. So we're going from, from one stage of, of maturity to another stage to another stage to another stage. It, it just We continue this process of becoming better, an ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. In fact, we're going to do a whole series on this, this, this verse in the, in the next year, talking about this is our call as, as Christ followers, is, to, become, is to, to let God transform us and allow us to become more and more like him. Um, so as we, we sum up today's message, really, like the big idea is this. Your relationships can only be as healthy as you are. If you're unhealthy, you can't expect your relationships to be healthy. They'll only be as healthy as you are. Because here's the truth. All of us want a better version of others in our lives, Right? We want, we want others to be um, in, in our relationships and with, with, with our spouses, with our kids. We don't want everybody else to get better. Well, the truth is they also want us to get better. And they deserve a better version of us, right? My, my family deserves a better version of me. And if I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, I'm becoming better. I'm, I'm allowing the, the, the struggles and the challenges that we face to refine me and make me better. I'm allowing the, things that we, the way we don't see things the same to help me become a better version of me. If I'm willing to say, all right, I'm not going to make this about me. I'm not going to let selfishness rule the day, but I'm going to allow God to use relationship to help me get better. So here's my challenge for the day, all right? Choose, choose to get healthy. Would you choose to get, to, get healthy in, in your relationships? Choose to get healthy inside of your own, inside of your own heart, in, inside of your own life. Like choose to say, so, so here's, the, here's the journey God calls us on, right? So if selfishness is on one extreme, um, we, we, want, we want to not be selfish, but we want to be selfless. Now, selfless doesn't mean that you think less of yourself. Um, it means that you think of yourself less, right? It's not, you're not the most important thing all the time. Thinking, of your, thinking less of yourself is actually another extreme of being selfish um, that's just as damaging and, and unhealthy, right? We don't think anything of ourselves. We're so horrible. We have so low self-esteem. That's not what, what, what selfless is about. Um, it's not pride. It's not being inferior. It's saying, I'm not going to let self be the driving force. I'm not going to be, self is not going to be the center of everything. And so choose to get healthy in that area. When we do this by letting go of the old, we welcome the new that God has for us. You let go of the old, you welcome the new that God has for us. And the way, the way we do this is it's a, a choice that we make on a daily basis to say, I'm going to take one step towards that better version that God has of me. What does that look like? God, help me with this. We wrestle with it. We ask questions of other people. What exactly is this not working? And how can I get better? 
We ask our employers, our employees, right? What's not working? How can we get better? It's, it's a dialogue. It's, 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 but if you're unhealthy as an individual, those dialogues will be really hard. So you have to begin to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust that the relationships I'm in are here to help me get better, not to make me worse. And if you're in relationships that are making you worse, I would question being in that relationship until you get healthy because it's not going to go in a good direction. All right? Uh, so today as we end our service, I want to give an opportunity for those in this room that, uh, you know, you came and I talked about relationships. And I, and I think today, you know, is a, is a good for all of us because we have this tendency to lean towards selfishness. And that's really where, where sin enters the picture. And uh, it, it, our desires lead us to make unhealthy choices and decisions that impact our relationships. Um, but what I love about the gospel, about the Bible, about, about, about Jesus is that in the middle of our bad choices, he extends grace to us. He says, guys, it, that's not working. I'm going to expose some things to you that's not working, but, but don't stop going to it. That's what the Bible keeps saying about the old self. Don't keep going to what doesn't work. Don't go, go, go going back to what you desire and what, just for pleasure and just what you want, but choose to do something different. Choose to go the path that I'm leading you on. In fact, the Bible calls it repentance. Right? If you're going one direction and you're, that path's not working, he said, would you stop going that direction and turn around and say, God, I'm, I'm going to go your direction? And today, some of you in this room, you need to do that. Because in your relationship's not working, your life's not working. And part of it is because you're actually going the opposite way from what God has. And he's saying, would you stop? Let's give you a new start. Let's go in a different direction. And so today, before we end, I would love to give an opportunity for those in this room that you're at that point. You're saying, I need to make a, cho- a change in my life. I need to invite God to lead me. See, being a, a Christian means that you're following Jesus' lead. So, God, I'm going to let you lead this journey. Help me to become what you want me to become. Break that self selfishness in my life so I can be selfless. I can be self-serving and self-giving to others, right? I can make an impact in my life. So today as we end our service, I want to give an opportunity for those in the room that want to make that decision. So do me a favor. Would you close your eyes and bow your head? And um, if that's you today, I'm not going to call you to the front, but just lead you to prayer right there in your seat. And uh, just a prayer of invitation of saying, God, forgive me. God, help me on this journey. I invite you in. So if that's you today, would you let me know by just lifting your hand that you're here, saying, that's me. I need to make a change. I make a decision. Awesome. Anybody else? See a few hands. So good. God, I need to make a cho- change. I need to make a choice to follow you. My healthy relationships. Cool. All right. For you that raised your hand, would you pray this prayer with me? And if you're a Jesus follower in this room, would you pray with us so they're not praying alone? Say this prayer today. Say, Father God, Today, I acknowledge and I admit that I need your help. I need your forgiveness. Forgive me of my past, for my choices that have led me away from you. Today, I choose to go your direction. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die on that cross so I can have new life. Would you come into my life? I confess you as Lord. I want to follow your lead. I put my trust in you today. Make me a new person. Jesus, now I pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, church, let's celebrate those that prayed that prayer today.